Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and in the chair again tomorrow. Carmen will be back on Friday. And it is just so fun to start the day with you this way. Wake up, grab the cup of coffee. You're probably off to work or maybe thinking about getting together with the grandkids later, perhaps getting the kids ready for school, whatever is in your path today. It's fun to start our day together, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Also, so happy as always to be in studio with Paul Perot. And, uh, and Paul, just the stories that you, you collate day in and day out to help us think about bringing Jesus into the conversations of the day. It's, it's, it's just great to come in, in the morning like this and see what's all ahead of us on, on a show where we can be together in, in a safe and in a free kind of way to talk about this yeah, stuff. So collate. Collate. That's... I was thinking aggregate, but collate works too. <laughs> Those might be synonyms in a thesaurus. I think if we looked them up, collate yeah. and aggregate, there'd probably be other synonyms with all of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, on that. Maybe, so, yeah, good, good linguistic choice there. Yeah. So I just put a bunch of stuff together. Put a bunch what, of stuff together. I throw a bunch of stuff up on the wall and see what sticks. Indeed, know? indeed. Well, we're in the Gospel of Luke this month as part of Advent, and I know that many of you have joined us to be part of the Luke study as well. It's something you can sign up for at, par, as, at myfaithradio.com. Great study questions, behind-the-scenes takes, some podcasts that go with that as well. And in the 15th chapter, this is a chapter that is familiar maybe to some, so many things on which we could comment, but this is the chapter with the prodigal son in it as well. And it's something that we'll get started with right now at the top of this hour, but we'll continue to weave through the morning because I think this story is terribly instructive for an issue that many of us are probably being impacted by today. I've been teaching a sexuality class for the better part of 14 years. I think many of you know that, that are part of the show regularly. And what I've seen over the last three or four years is the incredibly understandable and quite confusing question of what do we do now with the pervasiveness of the LBGTQ movement? Many of our friends, maybe maybe many of our daughters, many of our sons, uh, maybe our uncles and aunts, even parents. There are a lot of people that have chosen to walk in unfamiliar paths in their sexuality. And uh, and there's all sorts of promises of freedom and hope and joy in making those decisions. And, and I think the prodigal son is helpful for those of us that feel paralyzed by this, because I don't know about you, Paul Perot, but I don't find that in this season right now, it's terribly helpful. As much as our impulse is very understandable to say, stop, don't, don't go that way. Those paths are will lead to destruction. Stop, stop, stop. There isn't a voice to be able to say that right now. People are not responding to that voice. And like the father of the prodigal son, who in sadness just decides to let them go and begin to walk out that mm-hmm. journey. I think right there is where we find some wisdom within this age. Hey, it does uh, reflect upon what God allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he sadly allowed us to go our way, and yet he always kept an eye out. He always, He's he always still he wooing. Did. He's always still calling, always still saying, I love you. I, I know too many people walking what you just talked about there as parents watching their kids walk away, whether it be LGBT or you name it. I mean, you name it. There's it, many it's things. not even just that. There's right. several other issues. And all they can do is lovingly wait and be there. And like the father in the story, 
was always looking. And when the moment arose, did the undignified thing of running. Yeah, indeed. And we'll talk about that much more throughout the course of the morning. We're going to step away for a short break right now and invite Jeff Vilborough into the program. Jeff joins us regularly here on Mornings with Carmen. And we're going to talk about some of the major stories that he saw, some of the main headlines in this last year that had the most reader engagement. It's actually a conversation I taped with him yesterday, and he really just brought some fascinating things to the table. So stay with us here over the next minute. Jeff will join us, and it is so good to be with you on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to the show and delighted to be joined at this time by Jeff Vilbro, who joins us regularly on Mornings with Carmen. He is part of Front Porch Republic, author of Reading the Times, which is thinking through the news of the day, but but standing a little bit apart from the news of the day from a more critical eye to understand it through the lens of Kingdom Life. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Good to be with you today. Yeah, you too. I know that you spend a lot of time week in and week out just trying to understand what I suppose the German phrase sits in Leben or situation in life is around us and then how we can understand that sits in Leben from a Christian standpoint. And in this past year, there's been a lot of stories in 2021 that definitely got our attention. But you've listed four here that were maybe some of the most popular essays that you've seen the most engagement with over this year. And one of them is the decline of childhood play. I think there's probably a number of factors that go into why children don't play maybe the same way they have in past generations. But remind us of this topic and and what you saw in this last year in the decline of their play. Yeah, and I think this actually relates to some of the dynamics of the COVID uh, year as well, in that uh, a lot of kids couldn't couldn't go to school, uh, couldn't do some of their normal indoor activities. And so maybe in some places anyway, there was some more uh, kind of revival of unorganized outdoor uh, neighborhood play. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, historical trajectory to recall that for mo- most of human history, uh, kids before they went to work at a pretty young age, you know, on the uh, on the household um, industry or on the farm, uh, they didn't have all these organized activities uh, that their parents had to drive them to. They just hung out with their neighbors and made up their own games, and that uh, that kind of serious work of coming up with your own play, coming up with your own amusements. Uh, is actually quite formative and teaches them uh, responsibility, teaches all kinds of social, how to navigate various social situations, and um, it has a really remarkable culture to it. So, yeah, this essay, I think, is interesting in that it traces how some of these traditions that kids pass down from one generation of children to the next uh, lasted for for hundreds of years, but with uh, kind of the breakdown of these um, neighborhood play groups, uh, some of these traditions have been lost. I think, Jeff, there's a lot that uh, has been lost as you're referencing with that. And I, I think about how many, how much of our life would be guided by what I would call appointment friendships or, or right. just even appointments, right? Where we're, we're having to go and drive from one place to the next to the next. And I think about some of my very best friends 
are people that I might see every four to six weeks for a two-hour time over dinner. And we then spend the first, I don't know, 30 minutes getting caught up. And then the next 30 minutes just sort of bantering about stuff. And then we spend the last hour like, well, we should do more of this. But but <laughs> it's, it's hard to do that. And so that idea of what you're describing, setting out forth a lifetime where kids are just heading out, not on appointments all the time, but they're just yeah. going outside to play. I, I would imagine that that would be helpful in a number of ways for them. I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, recognizing that then creates opportunities maybe to build more unstructured time into our kids' lives. I know, that, you know not, not everybody lives in a neighborhood where there's space and other kids around to do that, but um, you know, watching our daughter play with the neighbor kids for hours in the backyard, uh, well, in the backyards, going back and forth and around the neighbor. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real delight, and it's great to see that happen. Um, it, it's the kind of thing that we can bemoan, but hopefully recognizing that then leads us to both in our, for ourselves and for our children to, um, I guess, be more intentional about being less intentional hmm. and uh, more spontaneous and um freeing up our lives to make space for these kinds of un, uh, non-appointed but uh, important playtimes. Are there things, Jeff, that you see within our Christ-like discipleship process that can get formed in the midst of this the, the spontaneity of play, just learning how to be a person who sort of takes what may and, and doesn't always know for sure what is going to be coming but can, but can live in the midst of that unstructured time? Is there any mm. kind of connection to our discipleship journey in that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's probably several. I guess one obvious one I would point to is that it forms us to be attentive to um, to the people that we're actually with. You know, uh, when it's not structured and there's not a set uh, regimen that we're all following, we have to attend to one another and uh, listen more carefully, look more carefully. And I think that kind of personal and specific attention uh, is crucial to to loving others well. But, um, you know, sometimes we can just see people uh, in terms of their formal role in our lives or their formal role in this activity that we're engaged in uh, and, and kind of miss the personhood that's that's present there as well. Mm-hmm. And Jim, we're talking with Jeff Bilbro this morning. He's from Front Porch Republic, joins Carmen regularly to talk about these kinds of issues with the news. And Jeff, connected to that, you did a review of Gracie Olmstead's book called Uprooted. And I would think that there is a connection here between the play of childhood and a sense of rootedness then in life. And, and uh, Gracie really talks about that lack of rootedness that is part of our uh, current and perhaps future. And there's a way to recapture that. So tell us a bit about your review of that book. Yeah, I think Gracie's book uh, is one of the best books I've read this year. And uh, in part, it's because she is really honest about um, both the goods of a rooted life and uh, kind of a multi-generational community in place, but also about the ways that that's really challenged today. And and we don't all have that opportunity. Um, We can't all enjoy those goods. And uh, some of those goods have downsides as well. Uh, you know, so as someone who values rooted community, but also has moved away from where her family is from, I think she has a really important perspective on these dynamics. Um, so, so, so she can see what's lost. Um, but she also does a nice job, I think, of, um, you know, offering ways for Christians to, uh, settle where they are and, and make a home where they are and live. Uh, in a way that makes our communities better, you know, kind of 
what Jeremiah talks about uh, in terms of planting gardens and, uh, you know, dwelling in exile in a way that hopefully can nonetheless foreshadow the coming kingdom of God. Super helpful, Jeff. Let's take a short break. We'll step away for just a moment. When we come back, we have another conversation. And interestingly enough, the the stories that you've identified that have had the most traction this past year seem to have a similar theme, at least many of them do. And, and one of them has to do with the innovation culture, the importance of maintenance and how innovation has created all of this technology and mobility. But that has even been part of our increasing disconnection from one another. So when we come back, let's talk about that next with Jeff Bilbro. Welcome back to the show. We have been recapping some of the key stories with Jeff Bilbro of Front Porch Republic, some of the stories that got the most traction among his readers. He's also the author of the book Reading the Times, which is our ability to understand our times through the lens of the news, but not necessarily being formed by the news, rather that we can inform the news from the Christian standpoint. And Jeff, pretty interesting topic about this uh, idea of importance of maintenance. There, there's a lot in this article, but maybe one sub point from all of that has to do with the idea of innovation and how we have been told by Silicon Valley and the leadership there that we need to constantly be innovating technologically and with mobility. But that really has made an impact on, I would suggest, the decline of childhood play and uh, also the lack of rootedness young people are experiencing, just what we covered in the last segment. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right to see some connections between these stories that uh, a focus on innovation, it, you know, there, there's some good things with innovation, but uh, that uh, obsession about that and focusing on that to the exclusion of maintenance and the exclusion of uh, attending our communities can can uh, cause a lot of a lot of harm and damage. So, yeah, this is a, a review of a new book by Lee Vinsel and Andrew Russell called The Innovation Delusion. And the subtitle is pretty good. How our obsession with the new has disrupted the work that matters most. Um, and, and I saw this book and this conversation uh, take off a lot of places this this year. I think a lot of people realized, um, you know, with the the um, infrastructure bill bills in Congress, I guess, and, and those discussions, um, sometimes we don't. Uh, take enough time and thought and spend the uh, money on maintaining uh, the goods of life. And we, we can find that work to be boring or less exciting than the work of making something new. But um, maybe, maybe we need to spend more energy, more uh, value, more the, the less glamorous work of maintaining. And, and that, you know, that's true on a national cultural level, but it's also, I think, true in our homes uh, oftentimes the work of washing the dishes, making the meals, uh, fixing up the home, you know, it just doesn't always get a lot of credit or uh, glamour, but it's very vital and essential work. Yeah, there's there's nothing terribly exciting about a life of maintenance, right? right? Nobody's saying, right. gosh, I want to be a maintainer. We all want to be an innovator. You know, the, right. even the use of language is really interesting as to what then intrigues us. But but I think that which intrigues us often can be a delusion. It can be a, an illusion. It, it promises something that it can't actually deliver. So at some point, we need to step back and say, hang on a minute. Let me evaluate how I actually think about the world. That's right. And I think um, valuing, you know, I think in some ways, maybe this, the message of the gospel and of, um, uh, of Advent is that Christ and God didn't just create. And then when things went haywire, walk away. Um, but but uh, he sent his son to uh, redeem and to maintain and to uh, recreate. And in part, then, the, the human vocation consists of 
caring and stewarding and um, tending that which uh, gets broken and messed up. So there is a way, I think, that Christians can narrate maintenance uh, as more fundamental and important and uh, worthy of honor. But that's certainly not the, the the norm in our culture today. That that is more focused on coming up with new, cool, fun gadgets. You know, move fast, break things, come up with new stuff. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking, Jeff, as you're talking about even what my own kids need and and what I what I perceive they might need as a dad is often different what they than what they actually need. And and that's I do right. get I get drawn into to to the new and the exotic and, and thinking that's going to be great, but. But just simply as something as simple as maintaining something, our dishwasher broke down the other day. It started leaking. I didn't know why. I'm not exactly Mr. Home Maintenance Guy, but uh, I was able to use some technology like YouTube to look into it. Yep. And, and the point of that is, is it was an incredibly fun adventure. This kind yep. of thing happens in, in our house where then I'll take my 11-year-old and we'll just break out the screwdriver and start opening stuff and figuring stuff out. He loves that. He loves that far more than he does getting on the iPad and uh, and and doing something on the screen that that really connected us in some really profound ways. And, and so I think simple disciplines like that are, is really where the heart of parenting can be. Oh, it's a great great example and a great story. And I think you know it's a, a good example too of how we can use some of these new technologies like YouTube to um, uh, make the work of maintenance and caretaking and uh, tending the home uh, a lot more possible than, than they used to be a lot a lot more accessible i guess yeah we should be clear though that the dangers of youtube are that then yeah. it, it, it yes. empowers you falsely in a way of torn apart a lot of things that well let's just yep. say i couldn't put back together jeff <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've been there too but uh it's still a good good journey right it is it is and, and that bonding that happens even over the failure right is just a really uh, it's so different than when i and it doesn't mean that he's not going to be a part of little league baseball and the things that he's doing but uh, but there has been there was a sweetness in that experience versus the driving 20 minutes to the ballpark and now i watch him from the stands and a hot dog and with a hot dog and, and those are all good things as well but i was just surprised at, at the bonding and I think that takes us into to one more topic that was part of what you've sent as some of the key topics of this year and, and the shared work together. Not only do we want to play together, but we want to work together. And, and I know my oldest son has just dreamt of being a, a sheep herder, of all things, a wow. shepherd. If I could drop him in the middle of Scotland and there would be 13 sheep there that he could just take care of, that, that would be his life. But uh, James Rebanks wrote a second book in a series here that really seems to be getting some traction about just sort of the pastoral life. Uh, and by pastoral, I mean out in the field with the animals, caring for things, caring for the environment. There, there really does seem to be a hunger for some of this. Yeah, I think you're right. And and this is Reed Banks' second book. Uh, his first one was a bestseller as well. And I think, again, he just does a nice job of um, helping us see what might be lost in um, the pursuit of individual fulfillment, uh, uh, the pursuit of, you know, success defined as as the greatest and latest. Um, and, and he's not, you know, nostalgic for a a perfect past, but he is trying to figure out what would a healthy, uh, human-scaled agricultural network uh, look like today, and how can we use some of the new technologies without um, harming our our land, or even more importantly, perhaps harming the human communities of people who uh, who work the land. So, uh, I've really been, you know, Rebanks is not a Christian, but uh, a lot of a lot of Christians, I think, have been turning to him in part because. Uh, he helps us re, uh, pre, appreciate in a new ways some of the pastoral metaphors in the Bible uh, and the, what it might mean for um, 
for Christ to be our shepherd, but also for us to be um, to be shepherds as well as as uh, several biblical stories discuss. Well, it, it calls to mind Genesis one for me, Jeff, that we are meant to be stewards of the land, and and. I wonder if there isn't even some sort of connection that we're meant to have. I don't mean in some mystical, weird, spiritual kind of way, but but it does seem like we are designed to be grounded human beings. We're meant to be a part of the flow of how God has created this world. And and so there is, I'll say for me anyway, even in fighting the weeds and the wind and the rain and all of those things, there's still something anchoring about getting out and, and maybe chopping up a tree that had come down or or uh, just raking some rocks out of the garden. something Not stuff that I look forward to, but it does anchor me in different ways than watching a Netflix episode does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe we can't be um, shepherds who, who work or who, who watch over flocks that have been in the same place for thousands of years like mm. uh, Rebanks, but we can all... Uh, grow a garden and care for our our patch of dirt where we live and be more um, intentionally connected to the agricultural places where we are. So I think it's a very accessible way for us to um, be obedient, I guess, to the the call in in Genesis and elsewhere in the Bible to uh, love our places and to be stewards and to, you know, to relate to our places as uh, the representatives of the Creator, which I think is part of what it means, anyway, to be created in the image of God. Yeah, I agree. I think to the extent that we do that, we're also being evangelistic, right? We're shining the good news sure. of, of God's kingdom in the midst of this world. Well, Jeff, thanks for all of the time you spent with Carmen this last year, talking about some of these different topics, the, the news headlines, and thinking about it from a Christian standpoint. I know that that is her wheelhouse and what she loves, so it's been great conversations, and I hope you have a great Christmas. Thanks very much, Peter. Merry Christmas to you as well. Indeed. We'll take a short break and head for some bottom-of-the-hour news and preview what's coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We are in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 15, this morning. And at the top of the hour, if you missed it, head back to MyFaithRadio.com and catch out the podcast. We're talking about the prodigal son and making some application into some of the sexual soup of the day that is so understandably confusing and troubling for so many of us. And I think we're in a season of time in which to to tell people to stop uh, is not necessarily working, but there is hope in the story of the prodigal son because the, the father does let the son go. And here's what we know from the perspective of scripture and the perspective of history is that this is not the first time gender blurring has happened in cultures or societies. It does end uh, not well, and in the really difficult places of uh, what we see in that story, the pigsty, as it were. And so we keep our eyes out on the horizon for those moments. And as we head towards the top of next hour, we'll talk even more about what it meant for that father to have a party to kill the fatted calf, to run towards their, his son, and, uh, and what we might see moving forward. So it's a great study from the Gospel of Luke that is really instructive for us. Up next, we'll be joined by Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, and we'll talk about some of the headlines, the related to us and our Christians and brothers and sisters around the world. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back to the show here on the 15th of December. We're joined by Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, who joins us regularly to talk about some of the headlines, some of the events that are going on globally, mostly outside of the United States of America, that we can think about as believers, pray for, help, intercede with, and and just be part of this kingdom community. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. Looking forward to Christmas, uh, some time with family and friends. I know Christmas is a, is a mixed place for a lot of people. It's, it's a time of grief and sorrow in some ways, but it's also a time of, of joy and hope. And so I assume you're celebrating as usual this year? 
We are. Um, I think the thing that uh, is a little bit different for us, for me this year, is a good friend of ours um, gave a group of our close friends um, an Advent devotional, and we are all going through it on our own, but we're all on the same days. So it's just mm. kind of comforting to know that there's a group of women, a core group of friends who are studying God's word together as we prepare for all of the things that happen at Christmas and we're all busy people. So taking this time aside and knowing that each of us is spending time together on the same focus in God's word uh, is is kind of a neat way to approach um kind of getting your spark back and the excitement of what Christmas is, what we're supposed to be focusing on, uh, and instead of being overwhelmed and, and being run over by your schedule. Yeah, I think that practice that you just described, where we can intentionally engage in the same kind of rhythms, even if we're geographically separated, is really helpful for mitigating some of the impact in our lives that has to do with most of my friends are, are the equivalent of, uh, of adult play dates, right? You get together once every six to eight weeks and you catch up and see each other. But when we can bond together, like you just said, around different kind of rhythms like that, then we see we're part of the bigger story in a real tangible way. Absolutely. Love it. Well, there's some headlines that we need to get to. And uh, one of them was a really troubling one and, and just sort of the ravaged nation of Haiti. Uh, it seems just piling on. There was a tanker that exploded. So take us into that story a bit and also maybe some ways in which believers can help just repair some of the damage. Yeah, this is a situation that took place in the north. So in the city of Cap Haitian, which is the second largest city in Haiti, um, you have what it is considered to be an ongoing fuel crisis. The whole country is facing a fuel crisis. And what happened at midnight last night was that uh, the armed gangs actually made their way up to the north to uh, try to hijack a fuel tanker. And when the truck driver tried to avoid the motorcycle, he lost control of the truck and it fell over, um, spilling its load. Uh, while the uh, chaos, the immediate chaos was ensuing, people who lived in the area came rushing out with containers to try to get catch some of this extra fuel because fuel is such is at such a premium and so they're out there with buckets and milk jugs and glasses and whatever they can to try to scoop up some of this loose fuel that's running down the mountainside and in the process of all of this uh, there was an explosion uh, probably from uh, what occurred from the initial uh, accident but um, the first explosion ignited a second explosion and so you had all these people that were nearby trying to scoop up fuel and um, there was a high casualty rate as a result between 50 and 60 people were immediately killed in that accident um, and then the fire spread so it's in the middle of the night and you have people who are living in basic uh, cardboard shanties, old wood shanties that are very dry. Um, and a lot of those went up. So there were a lot of people who were caught sleeping and uh, were killed uh, in the fire that followed the initial explosion. This is a situation that is just like one more on top of so many things that have hit Haiti. So the president has declared uh, three days of national mourning as the, the rescuers are trying to figure out, you know, uh, what's actually going on and whether or not there's anybody who's actually still alive in the it buried in the rubble of the accident um it's a, an ongoing 
uh, commentary, I think, on the issues of corruption, on the issues of scarcity and the, the fact that crime is running rampant. The whole country is being run by gangs now. And it, it sounds like a very bleak situation because all of these things have combined to create shortages in the hospitals for medicine and staff. So they weren't prepared for this um, onslaught of people who needed immediate help uh, from the, the accident site. Uh, our partner is for Haiti with Love. And the one thing that they are known for up in Cap Haitian is having a burn clinic. And this year, um, the uh, the founder, one of the co-founders, Eva DeHart, said that things were going really well in spite of the fact that they weren't able to have teams up there. They were able to stockpile uh, extra supplies. And they were thinking they were um, uh, just further ahead than they'd ever been at this point for next year. So they thought they were well supplied into about half of next year which actually means that they were well supplied and ready to take on some of these accident victims. So a lot of the um, the first responders uh, and the government have been sending the burn victims uh, to For Haiti With Love in the burn clinic so they can get some help. Because the team there is well versed in how to deal with burns, they can handle the most critical ones. They are staffed to handle the critical ones. So they just opened up their clinic at one o'clock in the morning and started taking on burn uh, the, the burn survivors. And uh, there's a long road ahead for a lot of them because there was there were so many people who were so severely burned. Um, these are kinds of things that are going to offer offer opportunities for a ministry like Freddie with Love to literally be hands and feet of Jesus Christ to people who are really struggling through yet another crisis, who are um, seeking some kind of hope, something that makes sense, and uh, trying to find peace in the turmoil. So be praying for Freddie with Love. Their hands are full. They're going to be busy for the next few months. All of that extra stockpile that um, that positioned them to to be where they needed to be at a time of crisis is going to be gone. So they could use some uh, extra support to to kind of get back where they were. Is there a way to participate financially as well in this, Ruth, or a different way, a different organization that could be helpful as well? What would you suggest? Uh, for Haiti with Love, it has the burn clinic in Cap Haitian. So I would suggest uh, finding them on our website today. There, It's the lead story. And when you click on the lead story, you'll see the profile page for For Haiti with Love. You can do a web search for For Haiti with Love. And um, their headquarters, they have two headquarters. One is in Cap Haitian and one is in Palm, Florida, uh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Um, any assistance that you can give to them right now is really going to be helpful. Um, they do a Christmas Day party as well. So they had things already in hand, getting ready to do this Christmas Day party. A lot of logistics uh, kind of in the works for that kind of thing. Um, so what I'm trying to say is they're busy. They are uh, a little bit thinly stretched right now. So be praying for their staff. Be praying that um, they have the strength and the energy they need to be dealing with a long-term crisis like this. And if you can help them, that would be fantastic. All of their information is on uh, our website. Joined by Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, talking about some of the headlines globally in which we can participate as believers, bringing a helping hand. And Ruth, let's step away for just a moment. When we come back, we'll change the topic to some of the crime spikes that we see in the country of Lebanon. There's been crime going on in, in spiking ways globally, but there's some interesting and unique dimensions to this. So stay with us. More with Ruth Kramer when we come back in just a minute. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song. It's about 14 minutes before the top of the hour. We're chatting with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. And Ruth, there 
Yes, some headlines coming out. There are some headlines coming out of Lebanon about some crime spikes that are happening. I know there's been a lot of crime spiking in our own country, but what do we see over there that's happening that is both maybe similar to but also different from? Well, Lebanon has been uh, just facing multiple crises, much like Haiti has been facing multiple crises. Uh, and they've never really recovered from the port blast that took place uh, last year. And this is a situation that's just an ongoing problem with the economic freefall. Uh, plus, the government's been cutting the subsidies that they've had. So food subsidies, medicine subsidies and fuel subsidies have all been cut. Uh, at the same time, you've got a lot of com companies that are closing their doors and moving uh, their business offshore. So a lot of people are going out of country. You've got this brain drain that's happening in Lebanon right now. But the people who are remaining are uh, struggling because of the free fall in the economic situation. And that has created a lot of desperation. Desperate people do desperate things. What we're seeing now is a spike in what we're calling hunger crimes, because people don't have a way to make enough money to buy food. They don't have uh, a way to procure what little food does exist in Lebanon. And so they are doing what desperate people do and they're stealing it um, or they're stealing anything they think they can sell to be able to uh, get some money to be able to uh, transact for sustenance in that day. And these are people who are not normally doing these things. And so they're not criminal. They're not lifetime criminals. These are um, people who have college degrees, who maybe had a double income prior to the economic collapse, who uh, have families that they're trying to take care of. You know, there's a couple of stories that we've been reading about uh, uh, robbers, you know, muggers who apologize and then cry and, and weep over the fact that they're stealing something and trying to explain to the person they're stealing from that they're not thieves, but they're trying to provide for their families. And this is just the, the, the big picture of what is happening. Our partner, uh, Triumphant Mercy Lebanon, was telling us a little bit about these things and saying that they've experienced some of this. It's dangerous to walk around anywhere in Lebanon anymore with cash, but you have to because the banks are closed. So in order to do anything, you have to have cash. And if you're walking around, you're a target. So, you know, they've had to deal with um, workers who've been robbed because of that situation. Uh, they had a brand new generator that they put outside their headquarters that made it two days before somebody stole it. Um, these add to the increasing costs of trying to be uh, hands and feet of Christ in a, in a difficult situation. Um, so her, uh, Triumphant Mercy is asking us to join them in in prayer. There's, you know, Lebanon needs a lot of prayer and and a lot of Lebanese people will say, that God is answering prayer when they were asking for God to shake up the nation and to give them revival, because this is what it takes to be able to take your focus off of all of the stuff, your idols, and turn your focus to God when he strips away everything. Um, then you rely solely on him. And that is, according to, to Triumphant Mercy, where people are winding up. They are looking at the crisis. They are uh, concerned about things. There are daily struggles, but because of the fact that there is nothing else that they can trust, they go searching for truth and they go to the people that they know have it, which are the followers of Christ. So there's been this huge explosion in people who are asking more about who is Jesus Christ. Tell me more about this nature of sin, this nature of redemption. Uh, 
how do I follow Jesus Christ? And what you're seeing is this revival that nobody expected to happen with all of these other issues that are that are taking place in Lebanon. Um, the team is asking us to join them in prayer for strength because they're tired. They've been working at breakneck speed since the Syrian refugee crisis began 10 years ago. Um, ask God for provision because they're still trying to make sure that people have medicine and food. Um, it's really difficult to negotiate for things like fresh chicken because uh, the prices are changing by the hour. And so a price that you might negotiate in the morning, by the time you get your vehicle to the market to pick it up, the price has changed by maybe by double. Um, so pray for, for provision. Um, pray for safety for those that are trying to get out and about and, and do some of the things they have to do with the home visits and things like that, just check in on people. Um, because the, the staff members are walking around carrying cash, they are targets and they have been hit before. So just pray for their safety in these kinds of situations. Pray for more gospel opportunities. It's, you know, even though I just said that people are turning in droves to finding the answers, that she's searching for what truth is and hope and peace in this kind of time, um, there are always going to be more opportunities. And Lebanon is considered uh, to be a very free nation in terms of being able to openly follow Christ. So that is something that they want to keep open in spite of the fact that Hezbollah has uh, started to insert its influence um, that could change things a little bit. There's a lot of uncertainty because of everything else that's going on. So just be praying for the ministries. There's a lot of Christian ministries in Lebanon that are working together to try and make a difference and lift up the name of Christ. Talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about some of the, the ravaged state of Lebanon and the poverty that is there that's driving uh, quite a bit of crime. Ruth, we just have a couple of minutes left. Let's stay in this topic and just compare that situation to the impoverishment of the United States in, in where we live, which isn't going to be as much of, of a financial impoverishment, although many, many, many people live, as you've described, like the people of Lebanon do within our own country but I think we also see a spiritual impoverishment, both outside and inside the church in our country. People are really desperate. You, when you're talking about Lebanon, I just got this sense of desperation of just trying to survive. But but there's men and women living lives of quiet desperation in our country as well. Is there anything that we can learn from the Lebanon believers about how they are carrying themselves as people of fullness and wholeness and light that also could be instructive for us? Yeah. Let's step out of our comfort zones. Um, Lebanon has, there's a lot of Lebanese who had to put aside uh, longstanding issues with the Syrians because don't forget Syria had, uh, had occupied Lebanon for a long time. And during the war, there wasn't a single family in Lebanon that didn't lose somebody. And then all of a sudden, you know, within three to five years, you've got Syrians in your country again looking for help, and uh, you have to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to still have hard feelings about this, you know, and 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 remember those wounds that they inflicted, or are you going to do what Jesus calls us to do? Put that aside, forgive them, and start being the hands and feet, living out the gospel, forgiving, and uh, looking towards restoration in relationship with people. Um, I think that's what we have to do as, as Americans is put aside some of those things that, um, uh, that we have maybe rightly so with, uh, difficulties, but forgiving is going to be the supernatural act that we can, uh, most magnify Jesus name with and walking outside your comfort zones. 
and seeking to extend the relationship beyond just Christmas. So when you start a relationship, there are a lot of people that are doing like the angel tree or um, they're taking on some uh, families, adopting families at Christmas and providing them with uh, all the trappings that come with Christmas along with the gospel story. Move outside of December, move outside of uh, the next couple of weeks and continue those relationships, continue to invest and and fertilize that seed that's been planted this month, next year, into relationship that could see fruition into someone coming into the kingdom of heaven. Ruth, thanks so much for all of the insight, the work that you do at Mission Network News to give us a little sense of what's happening globally. I hope you have a great Christmas and looking forward to catching up in 2022. Merry Christmas. We'll take a, sh- take a short break, wrap up this hour of the show. Preview is coming up with Bill English in hour two here on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, bro, are you are you a kindness guy? Are you an act of kindness guy? Do you do, you do uh, regular intentional acts of kindness for why people are you in the world? Putting me on the spot. Well, like we're just this. trying to judge your your spiritual formation, development, maturity. I've known you for these <laughs> I, four years, I, so I'm I looking for some on my Christ. wife about that. She's great with it. Uh, Jessica <laughs> does great. Me, I'm I'm learning. Oh, well, we do have an opportunity at Faith Radio to participate in our ongoing Christ likeness through intentional acts of love as we share God's love with the hurting world. If you've been part of the family over these past couple weeks, you know that we're doing the great giveaway, which is doing these intentional acts of kindness this month. We're looking for a thousand people, a thousand people to sign up at myfaithradio.com to be part of this great giveaway. You'll get a stack of cards to hand out when you're making a difference, just little acts of kindness. You also get into a giveaway for a $50 gift card. And, and you know me, I'll sign up for just about anything for a $50 giveaway, Paul Perot. Yes, I, I, I'm just thinking about that uh, bill that came later because you got into something. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But in this case, it's really worth signing up to be a part of just sort of disrupting somebody's life with in a, a little bit way. of kindness in, in a good in way. A good the, way. The, the Christians are people of the disruption by bringing light where it is unexpected. And that's what we're trying to do as part of this great giveaway. We would love to have a thousand of you join us at MyFaithRadio.com and very much looking forward to December 17th. This Friday. This Friday at three o'clock central time, Susie and Carmen and Bill are going to be coming together with all of us that are part of this great giveaway, and we're going to hear some of the stories that happen. Our world definitely needs a wee bit more light in it. There's a, there's a lot of darkness on the edges and now into the villages and highways and byways of our society, and so this is a great opportunity for us to bear that witness. Well, that wraps up our one of the show. At the top of our two, we'll continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and then we'll be joined by good friend of the program, Bill English, and we'll talk about Uh, Some of the headlines of 2021 related to business and what we see happening in 2022. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.